Welcome to our Capital Young Adult Podcast. We are the College and Young Adult Ministry of Capital Church in Meridian, Idaho. We hope you enjoyed today's message from our Sunday service. And this week was an interesting week, right? If, if it was, can I say that? Like, I don't know what I can say anymore. Um, but for a pastor, let me tell you something, 2020 has been a, I'll take Josh's word, weird year to pastor. Um, and, but it's also been a delight because when everything is, 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 is unknown and unsure or different or unique, the one thing remains forever and always is that Jesus is, he's the one who's in charge. And so there's always, no matter where you are this week, it was a difficult week for, for many of us. Um, there was many things in the news this week that was challenging for us as pastors and as a church um, just to carry the load for a whole church and a whole community. But here's the good news. Your pastor, your lead pastor, Pastor Chris and Kelly, are doing great on their sabbatical. <laughs> pastor Chris wanted to make sure he, he said, hey, tell the church we're doing great. Um, of course he is. He doesn't have to preach today. No wonder he sent his sister that. He's like, Trace, tell him I'm doing great. I'm like, sure you are. I called, I've called him every day this week. I'm like, seriously, did I pick the small straw of our pastoral team to get this Sunday to preach? And you know, Pastor Chris, Pastor Chris goes, I'm actually so jealous. I love Sundays like this. I'm like, well, then come back, you know? No, uh, he's doing great. I wouldn't even let him help me with the message because he's like, I'll send you notes. I'm like, no, 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 you're on sabbatical. Um, but I did call him last night to make sure what I was going to preach on, he, he'd approve. But um, it really is a good time to be in the house of God. It's a great time to be a believer. And, um, and it's a great time to be an American. You know, We're, we, we have a great country and God is doing amazing things in and through his church. I believe this, the best is yet to come for the church. Luke chapter 17, let's get in the word. The, the title of this talk, our, our, our series is, is that God is always working, the shadow work idea that God is always working behind the scenes. Today's talk though, or title if you want one, is the invisible work of God. The invisible work of God. Um, I believe that there is invisible work happening all around us, which brings me a lot of confidence and joy when what I see is not always what I want or it maybe gives me some anxiety or I have some fear or maybe it, 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 it creates tension within community or families. Like we're getting close to Thanksgiving, y'all, and I think some people are glad it's COVID because they do not want to be with their families for Thanksgiving this year. <laughs> Such a divided uh, nation that maybe, maybe that's going to be a blessing in disguise. See, the Lord works all things together for good, you know? Uh, but Luke chapter 17, uh, Jesus is, is with his disciples, and this discussion comes up with Jesus and his disciples, and it says in verse 20, it says, Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, the, the Pharisees, the doctors of the law of the time, are asking Jesus, when does the kingdom of God come? If you, if you know anything about Jesus, he talks about the kingdom all the time. He's talking about the kingdom arriving, uh, the kingdom of God is at hand all the time. So he answered them and he said, the kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed. Nor will they say, look, here it is. And, and there, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. Behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. It's in you. 
It's not there or over here or waiting for a time. It's in you right now, the invisible work of God. Come on, let's pray this morning and believe God's going to do something really special in each of our hearts. Let's, ask, let's just ask God. If you're willing and you're ready and you're open, let the Holy Spirit just come into your heart and your spirit and say whatever he wants to do. That's how we should come. That's the posture we should come when we come to church is, okay, God, I don't want to change you. I want you to change me. I got one amen from Pastor Mark because Lord knows he's a faith-filled man. We do not come to church to change God. We come for God to change us. And if you want God to sharpen something maybe that's become dull this year, maybe even this week or maybe right now, let's ask the Holy Spirit to come and, and intervene in our hearts. Amen. Lord, we thank you for today. God, I thank you that your kingdom is at hand. Lord, the invisible work is going on. Even as we sit here today, Lord, I thank you you're at work. You never sleep, you never slumber. Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes to see the work of your kingdom that is happening all around us. Lord, open our eyes to see how we can participate in your kingdom work today. Lord, we love you. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and we trust you from the bottom of our hearts. And we thank you, Jesus, that your church is victorious in Jesus' name. Amen? So the kingdom of God, this is the reason I use, I'm using this invisible language, is because the kingdom of God is actually an invisible realm, right? If you were to say, if someone was, was to ask you, hey, how do you get to the kingdom of God? You can't give them directions, Right? Your GPS will not direct you to the kingdom of God. It'll probably take you to the village because everything's at the village, you know? Or let's be honest, Google Maps will take you somewhere wrong because it doesn't know half the time. But you can't put, you can't get a direction on where exactly the kingdom of God is. Like, um, it's in an invisible realm, but we live in a very visible world, right? So we're not these weird, like, super spiritual people that are like, we live in the invisible. It's like, no, my dad always taught us we live in the, in the natural and the spiritual. There's both. They're, they're two worlds that collide. And so we live in a visible world, right? We see snow. We woke up, and it was cold and snowy, and I loved it. And thank God XM Radio has their Christmas stations on. So, of course, I listened to that on the way to church. And um, sorry if that offended you. I wasn't listening to Bethel right before. I was definitely listening to Christmas music. It gets me equally as excited. Don't worry. Uh, but we live in a very visible world. Like we can see things. We've been watching news all week. It's visible, right? We, are, we have phones that we can see and we have relationships and community and all these things are visible things. So it's easy to live with the characteristics of a visible world. The problem is, is that we're really citizens of an invisible kingdom. We really are, but we can't see it. So it's very easy to spend our everyday ordinary lives waking up and not seeing what God's doing and then get frustrated, full of anxiety, worried, fearful, um, uh, self-righteous. I've, I've met a lot of self-righteous Christians this year. And, I, and I've probably been one of them too. I've probably said something. It's like we all live in this visible kingdom and God has called us to live in his invisible kingdom. But we see visible. So we see medicine. Not that medicine is bad, but we see that before faith sometimes, Right? We see Facebook and, and CNN, Fox, MSNBC. I'm going to say all of them so no one's offended. <sighs> you laugh, but you should see what comes our way every single week. You laugh, church, but 2020, the pastor's walking on eggshells like all the time. 
Oh, Lord, God bless us all. But these are the things we see and we forget to see the invisible. Now, what makes a kingdom strong, a natural kingdom? The economy, right? Uh, a strong government, um, a military force makes it is a natural kingdom strong, right? There's many other things that will make it strong. The problem is that's not necessarily the thing that makes the kingdom of God strong, the invisible kingdom. So Eugene Peterson says this, I'll quote a little bit of him today, is he says that the kingdom of God or the invisible kingdom is a subversive kingdom. It's subversive. That's a strong word. Look it up. Look it up. It's strong. And I was like, did he want to use that word? Did he want to use subversive? Do you want to use something a little more tender? Like, you know, it's just like it's, it's opposite. Maybe he wanted to say antithetical. No, he said subversive. It goes against what the kingdom of this world is. That's the invisible kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is subversive to the kingdom of this world. So if we're not careful, we could very easily live against God's kingdom if we live more in the kingdom of this world than we do in the invisible kingdom of God. Because we live the majority of our lives in a visible world, although we are a part of an invisible reality. So what we have to do is we have to tether ourselves to what Luke's gospel is saying is what is the kingdom and when does it arrive and how does it come? We need to ask the question the Pharisees asked Jesus. When does the kingdom of God arrive? How is it coming? And Jesus' answer to it is behold the kingdom of God is in your midst. It's there. It's already here. Now this invisible work of God, which I think is all throughout scripture. That's why I'm going to use this word over and over. You're going to be titled the word invisible. I'll try to mix it up with working behind the scenes and God's always at work. We'll try to mix it up, give some, some, some like synonymous terms. But the, the reality is all throughout the text, God is at work, whether you see it or not. Remember the book of Exodus. Remember the people of Israel. They're in Egypt under Pharaoh's authority and they've become slaves. This seems not great, right? This seems opposite of the kingdom of God and the plan and purposes of God. The people of God, they're, they're the chosen ones. It's, it's, the, it's the promise that he gave all the way in the covenant, all the way back to Abraham of these people and these descendants and this land. And now there's this group of people that are living under Pharaoh's authority and he's mad at them because they're growing in large numbers and they're pretty strong and awesome. And Pharaoh doesn't like it so what does Pharaoh do? Pharaoh makes them slaves. He puts work on their backs. He causes them to live as slaves in, in Egypt. And that's still not working because the numbers are still, the population is getting out of control. So Pharaoh decides to, to do a little population control. He's like, okay, I, I can't beat them. So I'm going to eliminate them. If you read in Exodus chapter 1, you can see um, that Pharaoh comes up with a plan. He takes the, the, the midwives that help um, when the Hebrew women have their babies. And he takes these midwives and he says, hey, when you see a baby that's a boy, you kill it. You let the girls, the girls can live. But when you see a boy, you kill it. The Hebrew, it says that the midwives feared God, however, in Exodus chapter 1, and they refused to do it. Um, we don't even hear God or mention of God until the very end of Exodus 1, though, when these women say, no, I, I'm, I'm not going to do that. I have a fear of God. And so they refuse to do it. The population continues to grow. And then you see what happens. God is able to raise up an army, but it doesn't happen right away. But God was at work 
through it all. Through the season of their slavery, God's at work. God's at work. He was working behind the scenes. He was working in the invisible, but he was still working. See, the problem is it seems like he's absent, but he never is. Even in his seemingly or his seeming absence, God is always working. God works behind the scenes for our good. He's not just silent like we think he might be. He's speaking. But sometimes he waits for the right moment to speak. He's actually a really good communicator. (laughs) He doesn't talk too much. You know those people that just talk a lot and they fill every airspace with words. And you're like, can we just have no space? Can we have silence? And then when there's a good moment, then interject. God's a good speaker. He knows when to speak, when to act. And he's constantly moving through in his universe the moving parts he needs to move for your good. See, it's this invisible work that we see. Exodus is not the only one. You see it in Genesis. You see it all throughout the text. Uh, One of my favorite Old Testament references or or stories about God's invisible work is Joseph in Genesis. He goes from a brother to a slave to the second in command in Egypt. He doesn't just save his family from a famine. You know the story. I mean, he's prophesying things and interpreting dreams and nobody cares and he's forgotten for years and years. Joseph is left in prison and waiting for, wondering why his psychopath brothers threw him in a pit and sold him into slavery. But he goes from a brother, his favorite son, to a slave, to the second in command. And all of a sudden, he's able to save his family from the famine and the known world at the time. And you don't think God in his limitless power is working? He's working on behalf of Joseph. Then you have Rahab in Joshua. One of the greatest stories, I think, in all the Bible. It's the gospel story of the Old Testament. We have a demon-worshipping Canaanite prostitute. Demon-worshipping, like long line of demon-worshippers. Like her, She comes from generations. Talk about generational sins. Rahab comes from it. Demon-worshipping Canaanite prostitute who somehow decides to take these two Israel spies and hide them, going totally against the Canaanite ways, probably totally against her own belief system and values, hides them and asks for, recognizes the power of God upon their life. She's she's probably heard the stories of, of the people of Israel and notices that God's somehow involved in this. And so then she hides the the spies and then she says, the only thing I ask is that you would protect me and my family. And of course they say, of course we'll protect you. Rahab, we, you, you're true to your oath, we're true to our oath. The craziest part about Rahab's story is not just the fact that a demon-worshipping prostitute saved two men of Israel, but the fact that her yes to Jesus or her yes to, to Jehovah all of a sudden puts her in the line of Jesus. Do you know she's the great, 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 times 24, great grandmother of Jesus? Her son is Boaz. She's the, she's the mother of Boaz, the mother-in-law of Ruth. And you don't think that God in his amazing invisible work is working things together when it seems impossible and destructive and it seems like the worst has happened and God goes, nope. I'm going to make something and make a way where there seems to be no way. And then you have Esther, the great story of Esther from an orphan 
to a queen. Go from an orphan to a queen. Here she is put in a position of power for, we all know the scripture, for such a time as this. God placed her for such a time as this. And she helped reveal the evil plans of Haman, who was setting up gallows to hang the, people, the Jewish people. And he was hung, we know, if you read the story, on the, his own gallows that he had set up to kill the righteous. God isn't even mentioned in the book of Esther. But you see his providential hand through the whole book. His invisible work is throughout from chapter 1 all the way to the end. God is at work in our lives. He's been at work from the beginning of time. He doesn't stop being at work. 2020 didn't just get too hard for God. And you go, wow, I've been tired. I've been at this a long time and 2020 is too much. No, are you kidding me? God's not stopping. In fact, I think he works on overdrive for us. There's more things in the invisible realm that are happening. So this invisible kingdom is his kingdom. It's the kingdom of God in our midst. This, this, this in, in our midst is an interesting um, phrase in, in, in Luke's gospel. And scholars will break it down in three different categories, meaning that there's usually three different interpretations of this. The first one is that this in our midst would mean something that it's translated like it's just within us. It's just within our world and um, that, that the kingdom of God is, is spiritual, um, but it's private. It's interior. It's this, this, this relationship that I have with God alone, but it's private. Uh, this is how many Christians interpret what it means for the kingdom of God to be in your midst. But Jesus never uses God's kingdom that way. God's kingdom has never been private. It's always been public. So we can know, we can deduce that that's not an accurate, probably best interpretation of in our midst. Another maybe okay uh, definition could be that people would suggest that it means that God's kingdom is present, but it's secret, it's hidden it's waiting for them to discover it or for an appointed time. This is closer, but still not great. Because according to God's kingdom and how Jesus talks about his kingdom, how else does he describe it in the text? Is that It's at hand. The kingdom of God is at hand. Meaning the kingdom of God is already. And T. Wright says it like this, the kingdom of God is already not yet. We're living with the realities of his kingdom being in our world. The best definition of the kingdom of God being in our midst is it's got to be more active. The kingdom of God is in our hearts. And what it means is that the kingdom of God is telling us that we got to do something about it. We got to do something about it. It's in your grasp. It isn't some sort of thing that's just going to happen and you just wait and sit back and watch it. That's not the kingdom of God. The invisible kingdom is at hand. It's available and it requires action by the people of God. It requires action. But Christians tend to be better as spectators. And may I add, commenters or commentators but not so great as participants. And the kingdom of God has always been active 
It's never been silent or private or just sitting by and waiting. Why do we know that? Because God has never been silent and waiting and sitting by and just waiting for a, he is actively moving in the invisible realm and he calls his people to be active participants in his world. The kingdom stands among us right now. People do not have to go out searching for it. That's what he's saying to the Pharisees. You don't have to go searching out for the kingdom. The kingdom is in your heart. It's in you. Wherever Jesus is present, the kingdom of God is present. If Jesus is present right here, then guess what? His kingdom is present. If he is in your heart, then guess what? The kingdom of God is in your heart. Whatever is true in the invisible world becomes true in your own life and in your own heart and through your mouth. You have the power of the invisible kingdom living on the inside of you. But it's subversive to the visible kingdom, which is the kingdom of self, the kingdom of this world. What makes up the kingdom of this world? Selfishness, pride, fear, anxiety, self-righteousness, name everything that's bad, corruption, deceit, lies. All of those things are the kingdom of this world and it's God's kingdom is subversive, but we really love our kingdom. Eugene Peterson says this, he goes, the kingdom of self is a highly defended territory. It's highly defended. We'll fight to keep our kingdom. We will fight. We will fight each other. We will lose relationships. We will be completely like thinking wrong and still fight to the death for the kingdom of ourselves and of our world. Not realizing that God did not call us to fight for this kingdom, but to fight for his kingdom. The kingdom of self is anti-God. It's anti-gospel. Why? Because the gospel is not self. The gospel is community. The gospel is God's kingdom and it doesn't stop with me. It starts in me and it goes out into community, into lives, into people. But if our, if our kingdom is about me, it's anti-gospel. And let's think about it. If, if you believe this and maybe you don't, maybe I haven't convinced you well enough. But if you think the kingdom of self or the kingdom of, of this world is wrong, then what do you do with a bad kingdom? What do you do with a bad kingdom? You have to overthrow overthrow a bad kingdom here's another challenge how we overthrow kingdoms of this world is not how you overthrow a kingdom of God see we go and we do democratic elections however you felt about it this week or you get military force in the kingdoms of this world and you change or shift or overthrow it what do you do for the kingdom of God How do you inaugurate the kingdom of God in your life? Is it by overthrowing through an election process or military force or by just like willing yourself to be in his kingdom? No. We may try those things and they may give you a feeling or a sense of his kingdom. But the only way we can inaugurate the kingdom of God, the invisible realm of God, the invisible kingdom that's in our hearts is through the language of his kingdom. And the language of his kingdom is prayer. The language of his kingdom is prayer. We spend more time talking than praying. We think that the more we convince people through our words, 
is what is going to get his kingdom invading our world. And God says, no, you inhabit this kingdom through my language. And my language is prayer. You will inaugurate a new kingdom in your heart, in your world, through the avenue of prayer. We've got to learn that language. See, Paul in Philippians, and this is fascinating to me when you think of, this is why I love the Bible so much, is, um, is when you understand what's happening as the authors are writing. I think the Bible has so much more power and impact as I read it, but Paul, is, as he's sitting for his probably two-year imprisonment at this point in Rome when he's writing Philippians and he's writing to the church in Philippi, Nero, the terrible emperor at this point, has been holding these garden parties where he takes Christians, they've arrested Christians who've probably, they found worshiping God. They take these Christians and they would put the skin of animals on them and they would release dogs to come and, and devour the Christians. He'd also, this is in his garden and the Romans would be watching. He'd also, he'd also take those Christians or other Christians and he'd put them on a, on a stake and they would light them on fire to illuminate the garden as the people would have a party in the garden. This is what the early Christians experienced when Paul was writing to them in Philippians. He writes to the people in, in Philippi to encourage them, a Roman colony that was nervous and scared. Friends and family have been burned at the stake or eaten by animals. And they're afraid what it means to be a Christian anymore. And here's Paul. And in Philippians chapter 4, he says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication and thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Here is Paul living in the reality none of us I don't think have experienced. I don't think any of us as Christians have experienced what the early Christians were experiencing. The torment, the fear, the anxiety. And he says, do not be anxious. It's an echo to the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus also says, don't be anxious about all this stuff going on. Remember, it was, it was the same kind of stuff we're always anxious about, isn't it? Food, clothing, our future. It's the same anxiety we have today. And Jesus says this, Paul reiterates it, reiterates it by saying, don't be anxious. Don't fear those things. Don't worry about that. Instead of that, pray. According to Paul, which he believed he learned from the words of Jesus was prayer is the remedy to the anxiety. The language of prayer takes away the power of anxiety and fear and worry. So he says, don't be anxious. Prayer relieves the problem. Prayer cures the issue. And we have been called to be part of the invisible work of God, which requires that we know how to pray. Some of you are like, oh, dear Lord, does that mean I'm going to have to like go in a prayer closet for eight hours? Maybe. It's better than Netflix for eight hours. Are you being watching the news? You know you watch more than eight hours of news this week. Come on. But maybe it means 30 minutes. Maybe it means an hour. 
Maybe it means instead of talking so much, we get together and we pray. What if the community of God today looks like the early church? And we got it gathered together, we broke bread together, we had communion and reminded ourselves of the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. And then in that great response out of the depths of our heart, then we pray to God. And we say, God, come your kingdom, be done your will in our life, in our family, in our bodies, in our nation, in our world. And what if we started having these crazy little, I don't know, call it crazy, revival? <sighs> don't mess with a church girl, man. People say revival all the time. And I'm like, you don't want revival. Church pastors know you don't want revival. You don't even like multiple services. Come on. Like, come on, I will be honest with you in church. Do not pretend like you want revival. It's like we can't get you to pre-service prayer, but you want revival, you know? <laughs> I will only say this at the 9 a.m. because you're the most spiritual and you can take it. But come on. We say we want the kingdom of God and we want his world in our world. But the requirement is active. It's an active participation of his people. To come into and recognize that his kingdom is invading this kingdom. And in order for it to extend to every edge and corner of this world, it requires that the people of God are the agents of that kingdom. And how we're agents is we pray. And how we're agents is we participate in what he's doing. And how we're agents and ambassadors of his kingdom is that what is true of Jesus, we start living like it's true of us. And we start actively living like the kingdom of God is in our midst, it's in our hearts, it's present, it's real, it's here. We have it. Now think of this, when you, when you work somewhere, you have keys. Now if you get fired, too soon maybe, or let go, guess what? What's the first thing you got to do? You got to give those keys back. What does that signify? That you no longer have authority in that building, in that space, in that job. Like, I work here at Capital Church. I don't want a lot of keys because that's too much responsibility. So the only key I have is the one that gets me in and out of this building. I don't have keys to these doors, so don't come ask me if a door is locked. I can't help you. And, I, and I've done that on purpose. I feel like less keys means less responsibility. But I do have the key. I have the main key that gets me in any one of these doors. And you know what that signifies? I have authority. I have authority. I've been given authority in Capital Church to come into buildings and spaces. Do you know what God has given you? Matthew's gospel says. He says he's given you the keys of the kingdom. In Matthew chapter 16, it says, I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. Notice this. This is just a side comment because I am a pastor and apparently I'm feisty today. It does not say your ministry. It does not say that. Do not try to inject in scripture what you want it to say. It says my ecclesia, my church, my called out ones, my people that I've gathered together. I will build my church, not your church. I will never say this is my church or my people. It's his church. I don't have a ministry. I work for him. I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. 
And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. That, my friends, is the authority that only someone a part of the kingdom of God can carry and have. You have the keys of the kingdom. They're available to you. You have all the authority to bind things here on earth and to declare the favor and the anointing and the blessing of God in your world, in your family. Why? Because you live in the invisible kingdom of God. How do you activate it? How do you inaugurate it? How do you make sure it happens? You pray. You learn the language of prayer. God works through prayers. God waits for our act. our active participation through prayer by inaugurating this authority that he's given us and bringing it to earth. You are the people of God. This is the best days of the church. We are living in the best time in human history. Why? Because he has given us the keys of the kingdom. He has given you all authority under heaven and on earth. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Come on. If you're worried about something, pray. If you're frustrated and discouraged, pray. Don't text everyone about it. Don't tweet it. My gosh, my spirit was doing so good until this morning when I happened to look at Instagram. And then all of a sudden, I had to confess to the pastors in the back. I was like, man, I was doing so good in my spirit. And then I looked at the news. And what people are saying. And it started to get in my spirit. And I had to get it out of my spirit. Because I don't live in this kingdom. I live in the invisible kingdom of God. And what he says is true. And I will live under the authority of heaven and what God says. And that's going to be the inauguration I'm going to bring into 2020 and 2021 is the kingdom of God. Not the kingdom of me, not the kingdom of self, not even the kingdom of America, but the kingdom of God. I'm a citizen of heaven before I'm an American. I'm a citizen of an invisible kingdom before I'm a citizen of this world. So I have power and authority to bring his kingdom in our world. If you learned anything this week, it should be that our world needs his kingdom. We need him. We need his authority in our world. We need healing in our world. We need love in our world. We need forgiveness in our world. We need salvation. Why nobody talks about salvation in 2020? We talk about everything else, but what about people needing Jesus in 2020? How do we inaugurate this invisible kingdom in our lives? It's already in our hearts, Jesus says. You don't have to look around for it. You don't have to wait. 2020, it didn't disappear and you're waiting for 2021. It's here. The kingdom of God is is in you right now. You inhabit it. You have the opportunity and the choice to believe that it's there and think it's private and just hold the kingdom of God in your life for yourself. It's your choice. Or you can believe it's present, but you're just not comfortable in sharing it with others. Or you can believe it's an active part of who you are as a person of God. And you can begin to live like a kingdom of heaven 
in the kingdom of this world. I believe we can pray and see God move. I believe we can see signs and wonders. I believe God can move and act. I think, and I believe that God wants to raise up a mighty army in his church. I really believe this, that the best days of the church are ahead. This is the greatest, finest hour of the church. But God won't move until we start acting in his kingdom. And it's easy this time of year too, to just get settled into you know, the holiday spirit, enjoy the season. But what if we spent the next couple months, the remainder of this year in prayer? Maybe, maybe 2020 wasn't, this is, this is light theology, okay? But maybe 2020 was 2020 because the kingdom of God ambassadors were not living in the invisible kingdom as we should. Maybe we allow more that happens in our world and then we freak out. When we're like, God, where are you? God's like, I've always been working. Read the word. Maybe what God's asking and asking us to inaugurate today is the language of his kingdom. Let's be people who pray, pray and invite the kingdom of heaven to invade the kingdom of earth. We're not just here to wait till we get to heaven. We're here to bring his kingdom into our reality. Church, this is your finest hour. Man or woman of God, this is your finest hour. This is the day that God has called us. Maybe this is our Esther moment. Maybe this is our Rahab moment. Maybe this is our Joseph setup. This is the finest hour of the people of God. Would you stand with me this morning?